Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. I'm joined today by Bianca, who is a wildlife film researcher and marine biologist who's in Perth in Australia. She specializes in marine megafauna. So hi, Bianca. Welcome on. How are you doing today? Hi, Jill. Good. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you on. So you're actually good friends with Inca, who was on a couple episodes prior to this. So that's pretty cool that we're getting to know you now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I met Inca through my master's last year. So um, yeah, friends from there. I love that. It's so cool too that we'll talk about this a little later on too, that you guys kind of did the same masters but took it in two different directions because you guys your films are very different while also still being about the same topic so it just really shows how diverse this marine biology or marine anything is it's so cool yeah yeah definitely so let's get to know you a little bit uh why did you go into marine biology what drew you to it is it something that you like grew up always kind of like knowing you wanted to do well, kind of. Um, I've, I've always been drawn to the ocean. I grew up like by the beach in my hometown, Perth in Western Australia, just, you know, swimming and snorkeling and surfing as much as possible. Um, but I hadn't like made my mind up about like pursuing marine biology really until I was on a school diving trip and the Abrolhos Islands. So that's about four hours north from Perth and then out to the islands. Um, And I surfaced from a dive and there was a humpback whale in between me and the boat. So it was just this incredible moment. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, it was was absolute. We couldn't actually, the dive group couldn't make it to the boat because the whale was effectively like in the way. (laughs) Yeah, and we were just floating in the water. Like we had to wait for the whale to move past. So, yeah, it was just still to this day, it was the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me. And it kind of really cemented um, almost my curiosity, like, and because I was just had this incredible moment. And then I was like, that's it. I want to learn more. And I think from that moment, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go into marine biology. Oh, I love that. That's an amazing, what an experience to have. (laughs) That really would be the thing that could sell, I think, a lot of people. Yeah, I'm I'm actually heading back for the first time to the Abrolhos Islands for the first time in 10 years since that um, interaction. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that that's necessarily going to happen again, but I, I can't wait to get back there and just be in the same area where that actually, where it all started, I suppose. Yeah come full circle kind of thing. Mm. That's where you decided you wanted to become a marine biologist and then you did. Mm -hmm. That is so awesome. So how did you pursue marine biology? Like what path did you take almost? Um, So I started, I did my undergraduate degree at um, a university in Perth. And then after that, I I took a, spent like, you know, a couple of, years off in um in Canada um but then came back and um started working as the marine biologist on like a whale watching boat and that led to working all the way down um 
again on another whale watching boat in the remote town of um, Bremer Bay. And this specific charter went out um, to what's called the Bremer Canyon and it's like 60 miles offshore and it's where you can see orcas and other whales including like sperm whales and longfin pilot whales and blue whales and it was just amazing. So I kind of, I yeah, took a took a huge jump and just started working um, on, on the boats and um, I was just kind of, I was in charge of interpreting the interactions we had with the um, animals and what we saw out there each day with the passengers. So just really kind of communicating um, essentially science um, to to the people we had on board. So that was pretty cool. Wow, that, is, that would be so cool. I, I work on a whale watching boat right now, so I definitely feel your passion of how it is quite possibly one of the coolest jobs ever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those things that's it's never the same two days in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Where, where in Canada were you? Um, I was, I did the token Australian thing to do and uh, went to Whistler and did a few <laughs> ski seasons there. I love that. So yeah. complete opposite side of me. I got excited for a second, but. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's um, it was it was just some life experience, really. Nothing um, particularly marine related um, that I did over there, but um, it was an experience nonetheless. Yeah, just something to check out for sure. Mm. Uh, so when so you were working on these whale watching boats, and is that kind of when you decided to pursue the filmmaking masters, or was that something that you just kind of enjoyed in the moment, and then the filmmaking came later? So when uh, I, I'd kind of always been interested in like the communication of science and while I was studying I kind of knew I wanted to do that particularly because I had a <laughs> I had a terrible science and communication lecturer and I fell asleep in my first um, ever lecture that he did so I thought that was quite ironic really um, <laughs> But, yeah, so I've always been interested in that and then kind of working on the boats and essentially like what I suppose if you're working on them, what you would do is quite similar in like interpreting um, the interactions of um, the wildlife that you do see out there. Um, And I realised that I was having like quite an impact on the passengers that we had on board, Um, you know, building up their knowledge and kind of appreciation for the wildlife and whatever we were seeing that day. Um, But I realised that I kind of wanted to reach a broader audience and I'd always been fascinated by wildlife documentaries, you know, everything that has David Attenborough in it. Um, (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the man and um, yeah so I just kind of realized that wildlife filmmaking was a way that I could combine my love of science um, with communication by providing me that kind of platform to reach a larger audience yeah that's so cool it's kind of like a whale watching like a you're doing your like talks and giving the knowledge on a whale watching Mm. boat which is this huge audience with like so many passengers that's so cool like just yeah I love it so it was just yeah it was just kind of that next step I was like I you know I love talking about this and like sharing stories and and then I was like oh oh and also it was each day that I was I was heading out 
I would write a blog post about the events that kind of unfolded on the trip. So I would like tell a story about the day and match that with photos and videos of the orcas breaching out of the water and uh, uploading them on social media. And I just kind of realised that that was a way that I was sharing um, kind of what was going on to others who weren't necessarily on the trip. Yeah, that is, that's awesome that you would do that and like share it kind of like a live whale watch, even if you weren't there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that that is such a cool idea. Yeah, that way um, people who weren't necessarily out there might, you know, didn't decide to go on that trip perhaps or couldn't afford or even just were on the other side of the world could still benefit from um, like the incredible things that that we saw and the, the knowledge that we gained from seeing those things. That is so cool. How long did you work on these boats and uh, where is Reamer Bay? Like it's very remote you said. Yeah, um, so I worked um, for about a year just on the um, whale-watching vessel, not the whole time in Bremer Bay because it is seasonal. So Bremer Bay is about a six-hour drive south of Perth um, and it's a tiny town. There's only um, it's like less than 300 people um, in the town and it's about two two hours from the nearest town so it, oh wow it, yeah it's it's really it's really quite remote yeah that is that's remote so people would go there specifically to whale watch or is it kind of like its own little town there where it's like a vacation to go to yeah it's just it's definitely more of like a vacation destination lots of the farmers that um have properties around the area they might like take their holidays there um because it's a coastal um community and it's got some incredible um beaches um very much like there's another town that's quite famous now um called Esperance and Bremer Bay is um very similar to Esperance so just yeah turquoise water and um like the white sand yeah yeah Mm. oh wow sounds like an amazing place to work I am very jealous (laughs) the water here is that dark murky color like not gross but like looks dirty almost so thick and then we have like seaweed and rocks so I'm a little jealous of you (laughs) yeah but I suppose if you head out on the whale watching boats you still get a um some good interactions at least out there absolutely yes yeah (laughs) so some of your first introduction to like wildlife photography and filmography happened on the boat when you would be like taking photos of that and kind of were like hey I could share this even more a hundred percent so like I don't yeah like I'd always loved um wildlife films and and um wildlife photography um, but and I'd always kind of had before that a, like a GoPro or some sort of camera with me when I was um, diving or snorkeling. But I definitely started yeah. to take it a lot more seriously um, when I was working on the whale watching boats. And and I was not just 
um, providing that um, the photos and the footage with a blog post. Um, but I was also recording um, the behaviour that we saw that day and submitting that to um, the local scientists that were down there that were not heading out for the whole season but perhaps just a month in the season. So the footage and, like, the um, photos that we took were really, really important um, in being able to identify identify some of the animals and like um, sex them and yeah and because every year we realized that there were new animals that we hadn't cataloged before and so um, yeah so a lot of the photos that I took actually ended up being used by the scientists that were down there um, to be able to kind of really learn more about what was what was going on and how many animals there were. That is awesome and super important too. We we catalog a lot of our whales too and people don't understand. It's, I feel awkward sometimes like taking photos, but I'm like, this, is, this isn't for me. Like this isn't just for me to enjoy. And it's so cool to know that by taking these photos and IDing these whales, you can learn more about them as like individuals. Like we know there's one uh, minke whale that's been coming to this exact area for almost 20 years now. And we know that because of photo identification. So Mm -hmm. it's such a cool, very useful thing. Yeah, photo identification is, um, it contributes to the science in the least invasive way possible. So it's incredibly important and especially for, um, it's the least um, whale watching boats can really do, I suppose, um, to be able to help um, the scientists that are studying out there because they can't get they don't have the funds to get out there every single day. Every day, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you got the question lots. It's one of the most asked questions I get here is, um, is do you guys track the whales? And we don't, we don't have like trackers on them or anything like that. And I always answer with saying like, we want to be minimally invasive, like we're in their house. So mm-hmm. we can tell you who is who by this photo identification, but yeah. we can't tell you exactly like where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's so cool to be able to educate people and talk to them about why photo identification is important and how that helps us track them. And it's so cool to see there's a bunch of like Facebook groups and whatnot that post like photos of the humpback whales migrating up along the eastern coast of like US and Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to see people in like Boston or somewhere along the eastern coast post whales that we get in the Bay of Fundy. And it's, it's just so interesting to see them on their journey. And it's so cool to learn more about them through that photo ID. Yeah, definitely. And I think it actually brings the community together. Um, I, I've never um, experienced such a close-knit community than the ones, uh, the people in the Pacific Northwest that um, monitor the southern residents because they they always posting um, when they see them and, and it brings so much joy to them and it really, really does bring the community together because they, they have that thing in common, the fact yeah. that they look out for the resis. Absolutely, yes. So you moved to England to pursue your master's in wildlife mm-hmm. uh, filmography what was that like? Did you like? How did you um, working on the boats? I realized that yet yeah, that's it. I want to um, be a wildlife filmmaker, and I 
literally Googled how to be a wildlife filmmaker. And, <laughs> I mean, when, when in doubt, Google will always have your back. <laughs> Even, yeah, even when you're trying to find careers. So I, this master's came up and it was um, it was pretty highly regarded. Um, it was set up by the BBC to essentially um, fill the workforce with skilled workers. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'll have a crack at that and I really, really hope that I get in. I was extremely surprised that I did. Um, and then, yeah, moved to Bristol in England uh, in 2018 and started the Masters and then that ran right through to um, 2019 when I um, produced my first short documentary. So let's talk a little bit about your first documentary. What? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so the film was called The Blackfish Effect and... I I was inspired by the film Blackfish just kind of after hearing the real chain of events that um, rippled through the industry, like following the release of the film Blackfish. And it kind of just taught me really the power of film and how it has this incredible ability to influence change in our society. And so, I mean... My film, The Blackfish Effect, kind of follows an investigation into the impact of documentary of the documentary film Blackfish, and yeah, this title shift in in public opinion essentially that led to the collapse um, of the marine capture industry. So I'm sure everybody's uh, quite familiar with Blackfish, but if you want to just give like a really quick like synopsis of what it is. Uh, to back it up, that'd be yeah, awesome. Sure. Um, so Blackfish um, provided an investigation into the much-loved orca Tilikum's life to really understand why it led to the death of three people. So, and, and before Blackfish, people had no real idea how terrible it was to keep orcas and other cetaceans in captivity. And to put it like quite plainly, it was just really shocking. So Blackfish kind of worked to debunk all the myths about um, holding killer whales in um, captivity that were, like, held by the public and many of which all these myths or whatever were encouraged um, essentially by SeaWorld as it was in their best interests um, to have their patrons believe. So what the film did essentially, like, it... it, um, educated its audience on like the life cycle um, of killer whales and taught them about is how complex really killer whales are and how they are actually sentient beings um, that um, establish long uh, lifelong family bonds which is completely completely different to what the people who went to you know SeaWorld were taught they would they were never taught yeah. really the truth yeah yeah so that's yeah so your film kind of delved into what came after that and how it changed people's outlooks and whatnot yeah, like so my my film really kind of focused on specifically the impact that um, Blackfish had. 
um, kind of three years after the films released, SeaWorld announced to end the captive breeding of its killer whales and bands stopped um, deciding to play their um, airlines, cut ties, all of these things happened. A million less people went to SeaWorld in the first year that it was aired on CNN. But now, six years on, um, it's essentially um, led to the collapse of the Dolphinarium entertainment industry worldwide. So I thought that that impact was just unmissable really yeah absolutely huge huge even people that have no background or I don't want to say knowledge because everyone's got knowledge about animals in some sense but training education yeah in marine sciences realize like hey maybe this maybe I need to rethink this and maybe this isn't the best thing and it really did kind of like 180 things and total change yeah absolutely um I, th- I actually think that it was one of the most powerful pieces of um journalism modern day journalism as it just completely shifted people's opinions um by providing this controversial argument and even the people who created it um in my film, I interviewed the associate producer of um, and co-writer of Blackfish. Um, his name's Tim Zimmerman. Um, in uh, he was in DC, and um, he said himself that he had no idea of the impact that Blackfish would go on to have. Yeah, I think it really. It was one of those like worldwide instantaneous moments where it gained momentum very very fast in a lot of different places and kind of just took over yeah no absolutely it 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 definitely did and just and it went worldwide and I think that was the most incredible thing it was this low budget like I think I read somewhere that it that it only costed like 76 um, K or something to make this film, which for a feature length documentary, that is just unheard of. And for it to, you know, be seen on CNN and win the Sundance Award and just literally be shown worldwide in various different languages. I mean, it didn't just have this huge effect on um, the US. It, it also like rippled through to Europe and um, because they like had had ties there and um, uh, in, yeah, in France and in Spain. And then um, uh, most recently it kind of, um, which is what my film also focuses on, it stimulated this panic um, into the last remaining kind of wildlife resource for um, orcas which were being caught in um, in far, the far east of Russia and yeah. so they they were panicked because they realized that um, the only the only aquariums that were wanting to buy their wild caught killer whales um, were in China so they were like oh my goodness um, quick we need to go out and get as many as possible and it led to the mass capture in 2018 of 12 killer whales within Russia um, to be sold to Chinese aquariums so it was it was just kind of like while it had this phenomenal 
impact, um, you know, shutting down essentially the aquariums in um, some parts of the world, it also had this adverse reaction, um, which I found was really, really quite interesting um, that it had as well. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I Like, I just need to take a second and digest that because that is... <laughs> it's really insane how big of an impact it had and how much it didn't just change like the surface level thing that you think about with like oh SeaWorld people stopped going to SeaWorld like looking at what you just talked about with the captures and stuff it's so much so much deeper than it originally seems yeah and yeah there was just it's just continually um continuous layers and 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 it didn't just stop with the orcas it then went on um to kind of people just kind of started to really question any having any cetaceans in captivity. So not just yeah. walkers, but belugas and and even dolphins. People really um, are questioning like the ethics behind that and whether it, or not it's it's within our moral compass to to be able to decide um, that we can hold these animals in captivity. Absolutely. I actually have a podcast coming out after yours is already posted with uh, a woman named Molly, who does a lot of work with um, talking about dolphins in captivity and not supporting it, of course, like just kind of researching that and talking about the cove and whatnot. And I'm really excited to share that one because it's very eye opening and very, yeah, it's one of those things that unless you do the research yourself and look into it more and more you're not going to hear anything about it it's very like not under wraps but just not talked about publicly and that's why blackfish i think was so important because it kind of did peel back that first Mm -hmm. layer of look what's happening yeah because it's to it's not talked about often because it's taboo and 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 to be honest like i mean i yeah most people when they were um younger or whatever they went to SeaWorld and like but it was because that knowledge wasn't available and and since that knowledge has kind of now been been available like yeah a a lot less people um are supporting it but yeah at the start yeah definitely wasn't wasn't talked about Oh, absolutely. I remember being like a young child and when we would go down to like Florida, I being interested in marine life was like, oh, I want to go to SeaWorld because I want to see these animals. And then I remember like getting older. I remember uh, there's a place called Discovery Cove down in Florida where you can swim with the dolphins. And I remember wanting to swim with the dolphins so, so incredibly bad because as a child, you're like, oh my God, swimming with dolphins. Cool. But then my parents didn't let me. They're like, no, like you'll thank us when you're older. And now I like look back at that and I'm like, I am so glad they didn't let me do that because I would feel immense guilt knowing what I know now. But when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes almost, or if you don't understand, it just seems like a really cool opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that's yeah exactly why why it was so popular. Yeah, absolutely. So your film, how did you? What was the um, like setup of it? Were you interviewing people? Was it kind of a mix of different things? How did you go about 
analyzing this and looking into it? Um, the, it, the story kind of just grew and changed over time. Um, I, I initially kind of went um, and was like, I will show that people are trying to um, see whales in in their natural environment. Um, but then I realised, yeah, this phenomenon of the blackfish effect was something that I just couldn't miss. And so I travelled to um, Washington, D.C., and I interviewed Tim Zimmerman, who was the co-writer of Blackfish. And I also interviewed um, a lady called um, Dr. Naomi Rose, and she is kind of one of the most, uh, she's one of the leading um, researchers in cetaceans in captivity um, and uh, all mammals um, specifically in captivity. And she was also doing um, a lot of work in um, China. And in China, the aquariums um, in the past five years have doubled. So as opposed to being on the decline, they're actually on the rise. Um, so she was helping um, with a number of um, NGOs over there that were um, trying, that were reporting on the standards of the aquariums and essentially trying to, uh, trying to do what, what blackfish did here, um, I suppose, in China a bit more. So they were just trying to, yeah, really um, let people know of the conditions that um, the animals were kept in and that kind of thing. So I interviewed her and I also interviewed, um, because I wanted to make sure um, what is very, very important to me is is never creating an argument to pin the East against the West. I think that's completely wrong. Um, um, so I wanted to create a, a balanced argument. So I wanted to show that there was and there are um, a lot of um, organisations within um, China and Hong Kong that are working towards um reducing the amount of yeah people that go to these aquariums and then hopefully in turn reducing the amount that are being built so I did also into include an interview from um, a lady called Vienna Mack from the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Centre and she was able to provide um, the film with a lot of direct information about exactly what was going on in the aquariums and and like the the future essentially awesome I love that you really so you really did get a lot of like different perspectives which I think is amazing yeah I just thought that that was oh I also included um uh an interview from one of the um activists in Russia who was um protesting against um against the capture of the of the orcas and then against their sale um, of the orcas to China um, because the orcas ended up not going to China because of the power of the people that were there and they were able to kind of spread that information. So I made sure that I kind of really, I tried to within 12 minutes, it was incredibly difficult, touch on this world-wide uh, political issue. Yeah. So you really, like, it really is, your film kind of encapsulates every possible reaction or, like, outlooks and 
how it affected different areas and looking at all those different layers that we talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought that was quite quite important. And that was kind of the interesting part. It was like this fabulous effect, like this incredible like effect. And then, but also like this the the stimulated panic or whatever. But in the end, in the end, um, the reason um, why uh, Russia had decided to no longer sell. Um, the AUKUS to China and the, also the reason why the 2019 and 2020 captures were essentially um, put off and banned um, was because of the, the power of the people and the power of this spread of knowledge and education that um, that we non, no longer tolerate to have cetaceans in captivity. Yeah. It really shows you the power that this platform of like wildlife film and photography even can have just by showing that and it's changed, it's had this huge of an impact. Yeah. And I I think also with the, um, with social media and being able to share, um, yeah, these, um, you know, film and, and photos stills um all over the world like uh, being able to kind of connect with people in different places that's that's why like this spread of um knowledge um has had so much kind of traffic and it's reached so many people um is because of of social media yeah absolutely it's insane to think about how big of a reach you can have just on social media and how big of an impact you can have even when you feel like you're just one person mm-hmm. who who doesn't really like like I'm in Canada I don't feel like I could have an impact in certain areas of the world but with social media I can because I can reach that yeah yeah well you're reaching me here in a, here in Perth <laughs> and Australia <laughs> exactly a far reach and all, all because of social media wouldn't mm. have done it without it <laughs> if people is there anywhere people can watch your film if that's something they're interested in um yeah so I'm just going to there's one um last um permission that oh, I yeah. just have to get and then I'm going to um upload it um onto um YouTube and I will make sure that um I send you the link so people who are interested after listening to this, if they want to watch it, can watch it. Absolutely. That would be awesome. So what are you doing now after you uh, have got your master's in this uh, filmography and have this film already out? What is your, what's next kind of thing? That uh, Everyone's favorite question after they graduate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, at the moment um, I've, uh, had to move back um, to Perth um, from England, but I'm currently working for a wildlife production company in Perth um, and on a few different projects, and they're all kind of um, marine focused. One's currently in development, so I can't speak too much about that one. Um, <laughs> but the other one um, uh, that I'm working on 
Um, I know I can talk about this because it was the <laughs> it was the blurb on it. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a story about a quadriplegic man who seeks to become a professional wildlife cinematographer um, and essentially pursue his dream of filming a great white shark underwater. So he's a quadriplegic and he's decided that's it. I would like to be a wildlife cinematographer and I'm going to take it to that next level and actually go in the water and film great whites. Wow. Yeah. That so, is amazing. Yeah. It's, it, it's honestly, it's just a, it's a journey of um, perseverance really um, and hopefully it will be able to kind of inspire um, many others with um, physical disabilities who have never before really thought that they were capable um, of pursuing careers in their dream jobs due to the limitations of their disabilities. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And you're helping with this? Yeah, so that's the one that um, I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Um, at the moment, um, they've done a lot of the filming, so I'm... Um, working on transcribing um, the the interviews and then oh, yeah. yeah then they're they're putting the scenes together and hopefully I'm not sure when the film will be out but um, but I'll let you know as well <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome to share that that's so exciting to check that out mm. uh, if people want to follow along with you and your future work where can they find you on social medias or anything like that yeah, so I, I am starting slowly a YouTube channel, um, but I do have an um, Instagram just um, with a lot of whale pics, just, um, yeah, at Bianca underscore Ewan. So, yeah, you can follow my, my journey as a wildlife filmmaker and um, see what I get up to. That is awesome. So make sure to check her out there. And thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was amazing to have you on. And I loved this conversation. <laughs> me too. I really enjoyed it. It was great to talk to you, Jill. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. You can follow along with Water Women on all our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Water Women podcast and on Twitter at Water Women pod. You can also check out our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca, for some interactive activities and for a behind-the-scenes look at each podcast and the woman behind it. And until next week, stay salty. Mm-hmm.